Attention entrepreneurs, are you looking to take your startup to the next level? Check out HubSpot for startups, a free founder perk program that can save you up to 90% on HubSpot and over 80,000 on essential software and services, including AWS credits. You'll also connect with founders through growth masterclasses in sales, marketing, and fundraising, plus enjoy exclusive events and offers. You can sign up for free through Capital Factory by going to HubSpot.com slash startups today. You need the kind of technocrats. You need the um, freaks, the creative iconoclasts, right? Folks are pushing through like, no, that technology can be a product or something that really sort of you know, demolishes sort of some other opportunity or industry or, or and creates a brand and, and sort of awareness around that. The third of the jocks, because you need team players. Fast learners, creative economy class, team players, that's what makes a company. So Ann Arbor is kind of a, a place where you've got the university, it's got a bunch of geeks, you had kind of like that kind of very counterculture kind of element, so a bunch of freaks, and you have the university, you know, with and a very team-oriented culture that we talked about, right, with whether it's sports or companies, but basically jocks. And that's what it takes to build a company. Freaks, geeks, and jocks. I think Silicon Valley has started it. Obviously, they, they were kind of the most proficient and successful at creating kind of these innovation ecosystems. But there are plenty of other places, again, where I would argue Austin has a very different model. Like here, what leads people here at Austin is much as like, is as much culture and, you know, music and, you know, arts, all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, at this point, like Texas, is like the ecosystem here, particularly Central Texas, is such a uh, such a model, such a model for, for how, how to get these. And this place, particularly Capital Factory, man, you know, we should all be so lucky. For this episode of Austinpreneur, we speak with Doug Song, who co-founded and led one of the world's fastest-growing cybersecurity companies, Duo Security. Before starting Duo, Doug was a participant in a small computer security think tank called WooWoo. The group also counted the creators of WhatsApp and Napster as participants. This led him to chief security roles at companies like Barracuda Networks and Ann Arbor Networks, along with many others. In 2010, Doug started Duo in Detroit, and he later built a large office here in Austin. Back in 2018, Duo was acquired by Cisco for the tune of $2.35 billion. That made it the largest exit ever for a Michigan-based software company. After the acquisition, Doug served as Cisco's chief strategy officer before moving on in October 2022. And he also founded the Song Foundation. The foundation invests in amplifying equity, power, prosperity, and joy throughout southeastern Michigan. Doug visited us here in the studio at Capital Factory during South by Southwest, thanks to an introduction by our mutual friend, Fred Schmidt. This was an extra special episode for me, having grown up in southeastern Michigan. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as I did interviewing. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. You know, I'm sort of an accidental entrepreneur. Um, 
and maybe a sort of an accidental CEO at that. Um, and quite frankly, I sort of feel like the best leaders sort of are <laughs> very often, sort of reluctant leaders in, in, in a way. But uh, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a um, we came as you know, Korean immigrants uh, in the 70s, and uh, my dad had a liquor store. And so I grew up working my dad's liquor store, first in West Baltimore, then later in Jessup, Maryland, a uh, half mile from the state penitentiary. <laughs> not, not the best place to have a liquor store, but um, be that as it may, I learned a lot about sort of building something from nothing. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that meant also doing it with people who had nothing. Like my dad used to employ some guys, uh, returned citizens who had just got out. He hired people sort of, you know, living in the motel next door, next to the junkyard. Um, and so I saw, you know, sort of how you could actually build something literally sort of from nothing. Doug was introduced to entrepreneurship pretty early on while working at his father's convenience store in Baltimore, Maryland. The high crime rate in the area where Doug lived and worked led him to understand that you can work through life's toughest hardships. After his father's passing during his freshman year of college, Doug found an unconventional outlet in high-risk hacking, which eventually led him into what some might call good trouble. But yeah, I got into it because I'm a hacker. And uh, and as a latchkey kid, my, my parents didn't come home typically until 9 p.m. at night. And so I had a lot of time <laughs> as a kid to go mess around. And uh, with the computer sitting there, um, that's that's pretty much what I did. Yeah. Did you ever get in any trouble? Not not then. I got in trouble when I was a freshman. No, my dad uh, died when I was a freshman. Oh. Um, uh, and I wasn't thinking all that clearly. And so I did get caught hacking at the University of Michigan, doing things I really shouldn't be doing. But... It parted itself well into a four-year sort of a four-year contract to work at the university, doing security for the university, protecting it from people like me. <laughs> so that's how I got into security. Doug's skills as a hacker, and by proxy getting caught doing so, opened the door for him to use his talent and service for others. Combined with his natural empathy and problem-solving mindset, Doug's extension into leadership was inevitable. In this next segment, Doug recalls one of his first leadership experiences as an RA in college at the University of Michigan. I think the best uh, grounding I ever had to be a CEO was actually being a RA, a resident advisor in college, just trying to keep roommates in a you know in a hall from killing each other. Because that's kind of what you know presiding over like a, a really diverse team looks like, right? A lot of if you've done it well, you've got a lot of people who have a lot of different ideas, skill sets, and so forth that you can draw upon, solve problems from multiple perspectives. But the real trick is how do you how do you bridge that so that all that doesn't become conflict, all that sort of, you know, is not just friction, but becomes creativity. But yeah, I tell people all the time, like, arrogance, ego is, like, the killer of almost every... When I see business fail, it always comes down to, you know, very often that someone's ego for them has become a blind spot. I, I think there's a reason, even in tech, why so many... Um, CEOs end up coming from sales, <laughs> which is, to me, a little bit perverse because, honestly, as, a, as an enterprise SaaS, you know, software service entrepreneur, you know, the product is the first experience anyone has, right? And, you know, no one wants to talk to a salesperson or be sold. You know, they kind of want to kick, try before they buy, kick the tires and so forth. <clears throat> but you end up with a lot of sales leaders as CEOs because I think they spend so much time, formative time in their careers, talking to lots and lots of people and understanding how to connect with them, understanding what they need. Selling isn't about convincing somebody that you have what they need. It's about understanding what they actually do need and finding the opportunity, right, to connect what you have to that. 
I mean, if you're if you're a technical founder, particularly, I tell people all the time, you know, the trick isn't to figure out how to build something to solve a need. You know, we can build anything, right? Like engineers, that's what we do, right? That's um, the real trick is uh, doing so authentically, you know, and really finding the opportunity um, in a design-driven way to authentically meet the needs of what customers uh, want. Um, and it's a careful balance because sometimes what they ask for is not actually <laughs> what they need. <laughs> um, you know, like Henry Ford said, if I just asked this to my customer, I would have built a mechanical horse. But there it is a sort of intersection, I think, of customer requests, of customer delight, and then sort of the metrics movers, right, that kind of uh, push your business forward. And for me, those are always kind of the guiding kind of principles of how we balance our product strategy mm. and what customers ask for, what we've come come to a realization from a program of design that we could actually solve for them that maybe they didn't know they needed, but again, from having spent enough time with them, we, we, we've kind of, you know, been able to figure that out. We basically just, you know, figured out what's the biggest problem that they're seeing that we could solve, not for them, but for everyone else that would need to Need, need to kind of see that fixed because I spent my whole career prior selling to just those banks, hospitals, and governments, the 1%. While developing as a leader, Doug built a team and culture based on fearless feedback. With a mentality at his organization of positive intent and accountability, Doug recognized the unique value of every team member and that together, Duo Security would either win or learn. The time that someone ever joined the company, I, I was part of every onboarding class, teaching every new hire, like, here's what I expect of you. Here's what we expect of each other, right? Which is, we win or we learn, right? But if we don't see some amount of failure here, we're not trying hard enough. Because right? we got to find all the dead ends before we find the path that works, before our customer, before our competitors do. Um, so it was about that. Like, what are the things that we can increase the velocity of learning? So after every major decision, we we taught this within our, our kind of management kind of program, um, we do what we call blameless retrospectives. We call them blameless because like, that's the point. Like, We come in here and it, we're not going to discuss who's right or wrong. We figure out what's right or wrong. And, um, and again, we're going to go through it in a, in a very uh, structured way. Like, what do we stop? What do we start? What do we continue? The other thing we did that I think was also um, equally or even maybe more important, there are three things that are required for proper delegation accountability. One, agree on what's to be done, right? Between yourself, a peer, or direct report. Agree on what's to be done, because you, you can't have someone come back and say, oh, no, no, bring me a different rock, right? That just doesn't work, right? <laughs> agree on what's to be done. Two, agree on how that person will be supported, because you can't have them come back, you know, a month later and say, well, uh, yeah, I was going to do that, but they, they, you know, this marketing didn't do their thing. No, 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 no. We have to stitch together, right, all the expectations around what we're all, we're all doing to make, get a thing done. Three, agree on how you measure success. Right, because you say, "Well, I did this." I don't know. I wanted you to do this. Like this, you know. Right. And so, right. how you measure success is actually really important as well. And we just use that to basically construct what were our our basically shared commitments to each other. We had three corporate values that basically defined how we work together, how we treat each other. So the values weren't just like meaningless platitudes, like teamwork, right? And a poster on the wall, right? Or integrity, right? It doesn't actually mean anything. Um, we we actually had these values that we, we, we did teach people, what, not only what they meant, but how you lived them, how you actually saw that in practice in the organization. So the first was to engineer the business. That as a business, you know, we were going to be highly experimental. We were going to innovate everywhere, not just engineer the product, engineer the business 
across every part of our business model from customer success, customer experience, um, marketing, sales, operations, finance, you name it, there was always room for improvement. And the most important thing was that you tried, right? That you actually went out of your way to try to figure out how to make things better. That's how we become a high-performing team across the board, right? So, so we engineer the business. Part of that means also being experimental. Expect that things will fail. And so our second value was to learn together that when things didn't work, that was actually a blessing. That was an opportunity for us to actually learn, you know, what worked and what didn't, but to start sharing kind of our perspectives and experiences and internalizing kind of the experiences um, of taking risks, taking risks that are meaningful, right, as a team and, um, and moving forward, right, from them when they didn't work. But learning together was like the most important kind of thing. Um, that's pretty much the thing that defined kind of the success of our organization. And the third was actually more about some of the behavioral profile or attitude it took to do that successfully, which was to be kinder than necessary. <laughs> Again, to go out of way to help each other be successful. The hardest lesson I think that you know, leaders learn is that you have to figure out how you transform conflict, right? Again, conflicting ideas, opinions, perspectives into creativity. That's what creativity is. Creativity is about taking, it's about com- combining, innovation is about combining things, right? You just have to be careful that you you don't let the natural order of, of things happen, which is which is that conflict turns into friction, where people are just at each other, and then it escalates, and then things go sideways. And again, most organizations and most leaders have not spent a lot of time really understanding or studying conflict resolution, really kind of building the social skills needed to actually manage people through kind of that that kind of dispassionate sort of uh, journey. But but it is an emotional kind of intelligence and development that you just have to go through. Um, the hardest lesson, I think, that leaders learn is that you have to figure out how you transform conflict, right? Again, conflicting ideas, opinions, perspectives into creativity. That's what creativity is. Creativity is about taking, it's about combining, innovation is about combining things, right? You just have to be careful that you you don't let the natural order of of things happen, which is is that conflict turns into friction, where people are just at each other and then it escalates and then things go sideways. And again, most organizations and most leaders have not spent a lot of time really understanding or studying conflict resolution, really kind of building the social skills needed to actually manage people through kind of that that kind of dispassionate sort of uh, journey. But but it is an emotional kind of intelligence and development that you just have to go through. Um, it's almost like a cauldron of emotions and you got to keep the right mixture and you want you need the emotions so people care about what you're doing but they need to be positive and you need to have resilience against the negative and and you don't want that mixture to to flip from you know basic to acidic and 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 then you know everything the culture goes upside down yeah so i'm I'm no ray dalio right you know ray ray bridgewater guy he had his whole book principles all this kind of stuff there there are many ways to be successful i just pretty intense (laughs) pretty intense I, 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 like I say, there, there are many ways to be stuff. I don't think I have a monopoly, or anyone does, on, on, on a path to success for how to achieve it. But I do think, I do think there are some ways that are more enjoyable, right? <laughs> more, yeah. more enjoyable. Winning as a team, I tell all the time, like the, the, the most fun in an organization is winning as a team. That's what, you know, that's what fun looks like in an organization.
Entrepreneurs, are you ready to take your startup to the next level? HubSpot's for Startups is a game changer. Not only does this free founder program give you access to the industry-leading HubSpot software, but it also offers up to 90% off your first year of service, plus savings of up to $80,000 on top software and services that you actually need. Collaborate with other founders just like you and gain access to growth masterclasses in sales, marketing, and fundraising, as well as in-person events and special offers. Founder perks through HubSpot for startups are available through thousands of entrepreneurial communities, accelerators, or venture capital firms that your startup is already connected to, including us at Capital Factory. Best of all, no purchases or credit cards are required to sign up. Just visit HubSpot.com startups today and take advantage of this incredible free service. After meeting Doug, I'm convinced his largest impact is yet to come. His investment in the culture and economy of Michigan is exactly what I've thought the state has needed since moving away in the depths of the Great Recession. I'm excited to see the many successful startups to come due to the momentum Doug and his community have created at Duo and beyond. His impact isn't limited to Michigan either. He's currently serving on the board of the U.S. Economic Development Administration and is an advisor to many cybersecurity startups. I would have loved to run Duo forever. But you know, exits create opportunities, so you gotta move on, and, and now it creates opportunity for me to make sure that many more people can do what, you know, accomplish what I've been blessed to be able to receive, right? So I, I, I am now an angel investor. I'm an investor in a bunch of VC funds. Um, I'm also involved in government, which is a bit strange for me. I'm a, Right, the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Yeah, so it, we advise the EDA, the Economic Development Agency, um, in the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, we work for Secretary Romando, the uh, former governor of Rhode Island and the first VC, actually, it turns out, in Rhode oh. Island. Um, so it's pretty cool that you have we have our economic industrial policy for the country is being run by a former VC. <laughs> Just pretty Take cool. Take that, yeah. And, uh, and so what, we're, what you're seeing which is unique in this time in this country since, well, God, I don't know, the New Deal maybe. For the first time, the U.S. actually, number one, has industrial policy, but two, has put innovation squarely at the center of it. You know, the meaning of life is a lead of life of meaning. Like, what are you doing to make the world better? Like, what are you doing to actually really contribute and all this kind of thing? Um, and on all fronts, not just economic, but like, creating community wealth, social wealth, cultural wealth, environmental wealth even, right? And I feel like I feel like Austin kind of represents that in so many ways for folks, the intersection of those things, because there is there is a different feel and flavor to Austin tech as a community. I mean, look at South by like like the world comes here because this is unique. Nowhere else in the world will you find anything that has this flavor, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and, and you feel it walking to the street. You're like, this is buzzing. It's electric. I don't think um, that's not Silicon Valley no. that, that created that here in Austin. That was Austin kind of figuring out kind of how to do for itself. And I give people like Fred Schmidt some cre- a lot of credit for this stuff, right? Because, you know, that guy brought a bunch of that kind of Detroit swagger and culture and stuff with him here. I, I would say that Austin is probably the most clear example of how innovation ecosystems can develop outside of the valley um, in their own way, right? Because it's been successful on its own terms, you know, like, but yeah, I mean, at this point, like Texas 
is like the ecosystem here, because Central Texas is such a such a model for for how, how to get things done. And this place particularly, Capital Factory, man. You know, we should all be so lucky. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show.